friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Okay, Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. It is hotter than the hinges on the gates of hell. It is hotter than a firecracker lit on both ends. It's hotter than a German soccer fan. Hotter than the lightning in game one. I say, I say it's hot in here. It's hotter than stink on poop today. Hotter than your junk in a pair of skinny jeans today. I say it's hot, hot, hot. And normally this would be a regional chat. <laughs> it's pretty much across the entire country. Like, we should make it a match game today, Jesse. It's hotter than blank. Yeah, it rained outside and it's still over 30 degrees. It was like, you know, when it, like today in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> hot stuff. In hot Toronto, stuff. it rained. Like, it poured. Yeah. And it was like refreshing for 14 seconds. Literally. And then it went right back to soup. Steam coming off the roads. I read in BC... <laughs> I read in BC they set 103 yeah, good temperature luck. records and that it was 47.9 in one time. That. That's no, 103 nothing. Yeah, that's, it was 47.9. No thanks. no thanks. No, that's a no thanks. That's tough on the energy bill. And now it's hitting Alberta. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, if we do the match game, I think that it's probably too a little X rated for a corporation. <laughs> Hotter than blank. <laughs> Hotter than blank is pushing it a bit, I think. Yeah, we'll either, have to reword that in the break. Either way, welcome to another <laughs> hot edition of Tim and Friends. And I'm not just talking about Jesse and I. You oh, hey, oh, oh, You know my. what I'm talking Here about. Here we go. Split out. What a start. Tuesday, baby. It's yeah. Tuesday, right? Yeah, it's Tuesday. Okay. Game one of the Stanley Cup final in the books. Before you, <laughs> it is already hot in here. You know what I'm talking about? I swear I left the house. And as a bald person, when you sweat, it's not hidden in any way, shape, or form. And my wife goes, why did you walk outside? And right. I said, I didn't. <laughs> I was drenched in sweat on my head. And my wife thought it was that I had walked out into that right. downpour that you're talking about. Yes. Gigantic downpour. Thankful for the AC in the studio, though. Shout out, Rogers. Thank Is you. Any pit stains? No. Never mind. I'm going to be in trouble later in the show, though. I can feel it. Are you With that the shirt dude? that I'm wearing? Just a, just hey, a dumb decision. Hey, listen. As a veteran I'm of the game, the never anymore. wear the dark shirt yeah, I don't know on a hot thinking. day or have a jacket over top. So dumb. So right, dumb. So game one of the Stanley Cup Finals in the books. Before you go jump into any conclusions, worth noting, last three Cup winners have lost game one of the Cup Final. One game... <laughs> Does not a series make, but man, did Tampa look good in game number one. We will discuss with Elliot Friedman, and I'm guessing Jesse started first things first, hockey? Yeah, that's where we're going, naturally. couple of significant signings in the National Hockey League today. Ryan Eugene Hopkins and Wayne Simmons. R&H is joining us second hour of the show. Pressure's on, Wayne Simmons. We'll also get to the conference finals in the NBA. Canada basketball kicks off the men's Olympic qualifying tournament in Victoria tonight against Hedas, Greece. Mike Grange joins us within the half hour to discuss Jay singing a, or swinging, also singing and swinging a significant deal. Buck Martinez on the additions of reliever. Li, reliever. Oh, my God. 
The heat is already getting to me. Can I blame it on the heat? 100%. Probably not. Adam Simber, outfielder, former All-Star, Corey Dickerson, both added by the Jays. As mentioned, Buck Martinez, a professional broadcaster, will join us a little later on. James Sharman, the ultimate cynical English soccer fan, though I wish there were more, on history being made at Wembley today as England beat Germany at a major tournament for the first time since 1966. But it comes at a cost, my friends. That's right. Tim and Friends' favorite, German head coach Yogi Love has managed his last game as the head coach of Dermanshaft. What's their name? Leave it alone. As I told you a couple months ago, Yogi would be stepping down from Dermanshaft, and I believe this shot in the 89th minute will be the last time we see any head coach at that level with such an unbelievable proclivity for scratching and sniffing and or picking and eating. In this case, 89th minute earlier today, it was picking and eating. So while I will miss you, I will always remember you. I will remember you. I will remember you. Will you remember me? Don't let your life Oh, Ronaldo, if you only knew. No wonder he lost. If you only knew. (laughs) James Sherman, maybe our footy friend, can help me find another coach who loves to scratch and sniff as much as Yogi Love. I'm going to miss him, Jesse. I I think he's going to have a hard time finding a coach who can (laughs) scratch and sniff like that. That's a 10 out of 10 ability to scratch and sniff. And not just scratch and sniff, like... There is eating, and eating. if I'm not mistaken, we didn't show it because we didn't want to show it, but there was one where he went back yeah, no, no. and ate. Family show. Family show. Can't there was one where he went en arrière, mm. if Sebastian Morin was here today, and ended up bringing it towards the mouth. Oh, yeah, England gets in! Big win for England. I once compared Leafs fans to English football fans. Could that comparison end this year? All that coming up. We have a jam-packed edition. First things first, Jesse Rubinoff, Biggie Smalls. Go. First things first. Well, we knew that Tampa Bay was always going to be Montreal's biggest challenge. Maybe a wake-up call for the Habs last night in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. The defending cup champs. Looking like the better team in Game 1, dominating from start to finish, winning 5-1, taking an early 1-0 series lead. They look good, but it's just one game. Is it just a blip for the Habs? Or, Timmy, are you worried the Cinderella story might be in some trouble here? Is the clock going to strike midnight? Listen, I thought the same thing about Vegas, though I feel like the Vegas Game 1 and this Game 1 were a little different. Montreal outchanced Vegas. I think the high-danger chances in Period 1, Game 1 against Vegas, which yeah. they lost, 
were 7-1 for Montreal. So I felt like it was a bit of a different game. I felt like Tampa took it to Montreal early, often, and dominated the entire game, or pretty damn close Mm -hmm. to the entire game. That said, it was 2-1 going to the third period. That said, as I mentioned off the top, the the last three cup winners lost game one and went on to win the cup. That said, in 1993, when the Habs faced Wayne Gretzky and the Los Angeles Kings, game one went to the Kings, the Habs responded with four straight victories. So there is some history here as I beat up my (laughs) microphone. However, Tampa looked like they had an answer for everything. And what makes them so good to me And you can counter this if you'd like. What makes them so good is that they have as much skill as anyone else in the league. They play well in their own zone. They have as good a goaltender as anyone in the league, as we mentioned going in. And they are downright nasty and can play that game if you want it. And they showed it against the New York Islanders. And Listen, New York took them to seven. There wasn't much to give or take between the Islanders and the Lightning, and that should be some solace for Montreal fans who feel bad about game one. But what I was struck by from Tampa was they'll play any game you want, and they have the ability with all of their guys to play that game. Just look at Gallagher's face. It tells you all you need to know about how nasty Tampa Bay can be. And they out-habsed the Habs last night with the first two goals that they scored. Montreal have been the kings in this postseason of capitalizing on turnovers from the other team. We know that Montreal isn't necessarily a cycling team. That's not what they do. They get on the counterattack and they score in like five, six seconds. You look up the scoreboard like, wow, how did that happen? But the two goals that the, that the Lightning scored in this game to get up to nothing mm-hmm. were a turnover by Caulfield in the offensive zone yeah. and then Gallagher with a turnover. Yeah. It was like and the- you knew that you cannot do that against this Tampa Bay Lightning team. You have to protect the puck. It was like the two egregious turnovers ended up in the back of the Montreal Canadiens net. I think it was Eric Engels in his column on sportsnet.ca who said 16 minutes in, two big Montreal mistakes, both of them end up in the back of the net, and that's what Tampa does to you. Mm-hmm. I thought, and we just showed it, but... The Brendan Gallagher, and listen, I think he's the ultimate warrior. I have said a bunch of times he is among my favorite players in the NHL because he plays every game like it's the Stanley Cup final. But this, um, actually, this isn't the one. This is the one where Sergachev basically DDTs him. (laughs) His head hits the ice, and he ends up with a cut, and the NHL is really happy that it's Brendan Gallagher, and he's tough as nails, and he just goes off leaking. In the first period, though, he had a little collision with Hedman in front of the net, and the two other Lightning players came in immediately, and I thought Tampa was sending a message. Gallagher ends up in the net. It's Coleman, and it's like, you want to square up with any one of us? We are going to play this game as well. No penalties. Everyone smiles, goes back to the bench, but I thought there was a message sent by Tampa. Like, if you think you're going to do that to us, you're not. And I listen, I saw... Josh Anderson running around early. I saw Cassie Campbell do the first period pack on Josh Anderson doing that. And then Patrick Maroon gets into it with him a little bit. Like, I don't think Montreal is going to play that game with Tampa because I don't know that they can. Yeah. I also don't know that they can go away from it. 
So it'll be the the blue line trying to beat up Tampa guys, but they got to they got to greasy spots. I'll tell you that much, and they could score from outside the greasy spots. They can do it all. We got to give John Cooper his flowers for last night's coaching performance because his ability to get the Kucherov and Braden Point line away from Philip Deneau. Deneau's line only matched up against that line for two minutes of five-on-five play last yeah. night because he has the last change, the Lightning being at home. And that is going to be such a key in this matchup. We saw how dangerous Kucherov and Braden Point are together, each with three points, Kucherov with two goals. We thought maybe Kucherov was banged up, but Timmy didn't look anything like that <laughs> last night. Right? My guy has 30 points in 19 games. He has more than double the leading scorer on the Montreal Canadiens. In fact, he has more points than the top two Canadian scorers. They have 14 apiece. What he's doing in these playoffs is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And you're right. They won that top line battle in game one. And those are the kind of adjustments, though. Luke Richardson, I thought he addressed them in the post-game media conference. I thought they had a good idea on what they did wrong. Mm -hmm. And we'll see if they can make the sort of adjustments that they've been making all along. Yeah, there's just not much you can do when you're on the road. The home team has the last change. No, it's but really there's more just than just one ad- one adjustment. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Um, so, and I, and let's give credit here. Montreal has made the they made the adjustments against the Leafs. They made the adjustments against Vegas. We'll see if they can do it against what looks like the best team in the league. We talked about Kucherov and how amazing he is. I just want to get this stat in there. Three players in NHL history with back-to-back 30-point postseasons, which Kucherov reached last night. Three names. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Mario Lemieux, Lemieux, Nikita Kucherov. Just to put that into perspective of how amazing he's been. I will have much more, obviously, coming up on Game 1 of the Cup And he didn't play at all in the regular season. Ridiculous. (laughs) Elliot Friedman's coming up a little later. Stepped in flying. Pretty amazing. Uh, So most of the hockey attention in the country focused on Game 1 of the Cup Final for obvious reasons, but... A couple other teams making headlines earlier today, according to Mr. Elliot Friedman. The Oilers and Ryan Nugent Hopkins have reached a long-term deal in the neighborhood of eight years, $41 million. While the Maple Leafs have signed forward Wayne Simmons to a two-year extension worth $900,000 large per year. Different players, different roles, but Timmy, good signings for both teams? I like them both, and I know that the RNH is a little bit different than the Wayne Simmons, but for me... What Nugent Hopkins just did was he took less money for a longer term that allows them some flexibility to add to a lineup that we all know needs some adding. And they have a lot of work to do this offseason. So do the Toronto Maple Leafs. Both teams have a lot of work, and getting this sort of thing done early helps give them flexibility. And I thought, listen, this is a guy that the city likes. He likes the city. Mm -hmm. They don't get that very often. And listen... I'm not throwing stones at Edmonton. Just look at the stats. Edmonton is among the top five on no movement clauses. People don't want to go there. You can't just make deals to get guys there because they're on no movement clauses. So I know Edmonton doesn't know this, but some people are like, oh, why is he being so mean to Edmonton? Listen, this is just the reality of it. It's the same for the Raptors in basketball, same for the Toronto Blue Jays in baseball. It's harder to get guys to go there. So when you have a guy that's good, that likes to be there, like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you hold on to that guy. And I think that's what we saw today with that signing. No doubt. Uh, Let's go to baseball, shifting gears a little bit. The Blue Jays fans have been yelling, screaming for weeks for a trade. Timmy. The fans or us? Us and the fans. We echoed the fans on that one. Uh, The Jays and Marlins linking up on a deal this morning. 
Toronto sending Joe Panic and minor leaguer Andrew McInvale to in exchange for outfielder Corey Dickerson and a relief pitcher, Submariner Adam Simber. Your initial thoughts on this deal that fans have been waiting for and screaming for they get from the Marlins. Okay, so Simber is immediate help in the bullpen, and that's what we've all been yelling mm. and screaming for. And it looks like he's pretty good. He's got a sub-3 ERA. He's a submariner and a sub-3 ERA. And he's pitched over <laughs> 34 innings. So it's no fluke. He looks like real deal. And Dickerson, to me, and I know we don't have a ton of time here, but Dickerson, to me, is a lottery ticket. And here's why he's a lottery mm. ticket. He's injured right now. He's not expected back till after the All-Star break. However, he's a left-handed bat who is a former All-Star and a gold glover. The Marlins wanted him in the deal because it takes money off their books and frees up a spot for a young player to play. Yep. However, if he works out for Toronto, that could be a nice little deal. And if he does work out for Toronto, it could open up the door for a bunch of other dominoes to 100%. fall. And I think there's guys that are going to be nervous there because there's a few outfielders that might be thinking, is there enough room for all of us, especially if this guy plays gold glove defense? Oh, so that's why Randall Grichik was trending all day long. And a lot of people threw out Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s uh, yeah. name. And a lot of people said Rowdy Tellez's time may be done in Toronto. So all those guys getting a little bit worried right now about what this means long term. And for the Jays, it feels like a low risk lottery ticket and at yeah. worst case you got another left-handed bat on the bench which they don't have which they yet. absolutely need and they get another arm just to bridge the gap to get to romano at the end of the game there uh nba playoffs we go the phoenix suns and cp3 were trying to book their ticket to the finals last night but it was playoff p paul george putting the p in points scoring 41 of them the clippers dominating from the jump winning 116 102 la now trail 3-2 in the series Tim, does your perception of Paul George change regardless if the Clippers win or lose? Because my man, 41 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, 30 points in the second half. I can go on and on with stats. You know he had an incredible night, and he's been having incredible nights all throughout this playoffs. It was 15 to 20 that made the 41 points. Listen, he was shooting 36% going into that game, mm -hmm. and 15 to 20 is not 36%. It is really really good and I said here on this desk that playoff P is going to have to be playoff P but he's going to have to do it for three straight games here's the part that makes me crazy as a guy who comes out here every day does a show I understand that people want opinions and I understand that Twitter has become this shout your opinion the loudest and that'll get you in the algorithm but what I don't understand is why people fall for it. Like, do you think he had a bad playoff bubble? He admitted that he was struggling mentally in that playoff mm -hmm. bubble. Did he all of, all of a sudden become a terrible player? No. And we're seeing that over the last little while. I'm sick and tired of people yelling and screaming after every game that there's a knee-jerk reaction. The guy is a good player. Has he done it all the time? No. Is he capable of seeing what we saw last night? Hell yeah. But Boogie Cousins doesn't need to go out there and defend his guy because you're just falling for these yellers and screamers who come out there and yell and scream all the time. And it means nothing. It means we, we've all almost become immune to the yellers and screamers. If you fall for that, you're an idiot. 
the guy's a good player. He's got a really good coach, which is being completely underplayed in all of this. Now, ten and Ty Lue is ten and two in elimination games. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable what he's doing. He's also 12-1 and when he's got a chance to clinch a series. LeBron helps and all that. However, Ty Lue, not a bad coach. Paul George, not a bad player. Just take a deep breath, and I don't even think he's going to win this series. So relax, everybody. I I just want to point out something. Why Paul George gets a lot of the hate that he gets on social media, and I think... I found where it stems from because the day before the 2018 playoffs, he gave himself the nickname, the playoff P nickname. We have the clip. Why don't we roll the clip, the old playoff P clip from April 14, 2018. Y'all ain't met playoff P. That's what he was saying to the Thunder reporters. Y'all ain't met playoff P yet, right? He then went out. Game two had a horrible game. Game six of that series. Six of 21 in that, sorry, five points, two of 16 shooting in game six, elimination game. Yeah. They lost, he lost himself four straight postseasons in the first round. Mm-hmm. So when you come out and you say, you give yourself a nickname, you anoint yourself playoff P, but you don't back it up, you're just inviting people to come and criticize you. And when he says last night, I don't understand why of all the stars in the league, I get it the worst. Well, the answer, fair or not fair, is that you gave yourself a nickname okay, and unfortunately it hasn't been working out for you un- up until this postseason. Let's be honest. How many people out there ripping him even know what you just pointed out? Well, it, it became it became pandemic P. It's, it, it's the genesis of the nickname. He gave himself playoff P. I, he was I, bad. I know and all became, of this. Yeah. I'm asking you how many of the people ripping him on Twitter know any of this? I know Kendrick Perkins said the same thing. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you give yourself that nickname, you better perform. Yeah. But it's not like he's a terrible player. Not at all. Not but at all. Why, so why do we do this where we have to have the knee jerk all the time when we can't just sit back and say, this guy's got a career to play here, figureitout.com? Because it's become a trend. When it, he was bad with the thunder, people were like, okay, now we can jump on this. And now we can criticize him. Right. And then he was bad again with the Clippers. Shot under 40% in the bubble. And people were like, wow, this guy's never going to get it done in the playoffs. And now finally... He is getting it done, and hopefully it puts to bed all the social media pandemic P it nonsense. Won't. Well, he's got it two won't. more he's games wait, to try. And wait, he missed, try a, couple, and, missed yeah. a couple free throws. People were on it again, yeah. even in a good game. Yeah, it's crazy. All I'm saying is when you're good, you're good. He's good. No doubt about that. Big night last night. All right, still to come. Are we done? First of all. First, yeah. First things first. First things right. first is a wrap. Right. I don't even know the name of the segment. <laughs> I'm sweating, though. Spoilers. <laughs> Ryan Nugent Hopkins joins me live, fresh off signing an eight-year deal with the Oilers. Michael Grange from Victoria, head of Canada's Olympic qualifier against Greece, plus James Sharman after England's magical day at Wembley. Buck Martinez on the Jays trade. Elliot Friedman next. It's a busy show, Tim and friends. Face-off win to Kucherov, scores! And he has double-dipped here in the third. And game one goes to the Tampa Bay Lightning. George on the pull-up, nails a three. George connects again. What a performance tonight from Paul George. That's one of the most special players that ever laced his shoes on. Get his dude his flowers, man. Everybody that stepped on the court press is a really good basketball player. There's a lot of talent out there. We're here with one goal, and um, we're going to do whatever we can to, to compete at the highest level and, and go as far as we can and, and uh, make our families proud. Drill deep to right. There it is. 
A bullet into the bleachers by Otani. I've seen enough. Well, matter of fact, I've heard enough. Did you hear the sound of that ball, Cody? I mean, uh, there's a certain sound uh, to the premier hitters, and Otani has it. Tim and friends still talking hockey for now. Time for 3 of 31 brought to you by the GMC Sierra AT4, the premium off-road pickup truck built for adventure. Joining me from the Palatial Friedman Compound in northern Toronto is the co-host of 31 Thoughts, the podcast, and of course, Hockey Night Stable. Elliot Friedman, afternoon, Fried. Sorry for bugging you on a day off, sir. There are no days off in the playoffs, Tim. You know that. <laughs> I think I, uh, I think I pissed Ron McLean off, or he was pissed off at me that our interview fell during the Gary Bettman State of the Union, or that he didn't get a shot at Bettman live and in person. Either way, my confidence shattered. Anything you hate about joining me on your day off? I think the better question is to ask: Is there anything I like about it? I mean, that might be. You that might be a shorter answer. You don't enjoy your conversations with Tim and the friends? You know I love you. <laughs> All right. Uh, you had a night to sleep on it. Any uh, any ideas change on game one? Anything that you thought of uh, in your dreams that you wanted to add to the equation that you didn't uh, get into the rap that you guys taped after the show? Well, I would just say that most of my dreams do not contain hockey. Uh, they're they're a lot more vivid and interesting than that. But really? you know, the, the number one the number one thing that I Can would say that? is that <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> the, the number one thing I would say, Tim, is that you know Montreal on the road. You have to be creative, and I thought last night Montreal was was not that creative. They allowed Tampa to continually get the matchup they want to get. I th you know, look, I, nobody was beating Tampa last night. You could put every other team in the National Hockey League up against the Tampa Bay Lightning last night, and I don't think there was a single one that would have beaten them the way Tampa played. They were outstanding. They were all over the Canadians. They were they were tough. They were nasty. They were skilled. They were everything you want your team to be. They shut down Montreal. They they earned that game. However, that doesn't mean that you don't have to try some different things. That you don't have to search for uh, different ways to get yourself going. And I thought, you know, look, Tampa's at home. They get last change. They generally can dictate the matchups. But I think Montreal, for too long in that game, let Tampa. They just rolled four. They let Tampa do, oh, okay, that line's up. Well, we're putting out this line. Oh, Gallagher's coming out. We're going to punish him with the Goodrow line. It just, it, they allowed it to go on for too long. That's what I would say about last night. 32nd thought. My dreams may be affected by my eating habits. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought Luke Richardson did a pretty good job post game. I was watching his news conference and I thought he he calmed the waters a little bit and understood what they did wrong. But I'm kind of sort of with you. Like Tampa seemingly and listen, the Islanders just brought him to seven games, so it's not over. Like, but they can play. <laughs> every single type of game that you want. Like what struck me last night was they got the goalie. They can play in their own zone. Obviously they have the high end skill. And was it just me or did they not enjoy the chaos that Montreal can sometimes cause for others? You know, I had a long talk with someone. I've referred to this in the, in the podcast uh, a couple of times now in the playoffs, Tim, but I had a long talk with someone after the uh, Tampa, Florida series, mm -hmm. and they, they talked to me about, the, you know, everybody says that Tampa's like this nice team of skilled players, 
and you know they're they're so fun to watch and they beat you by with their power play where everybody touches the puck and it's like the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> on ice and he he said you know yeah okay but he said that the thing that Tampa doesn't get enough attention for is how nasty and dirty they are yeah. and they have a bunch of well you know I don't know if I can say this word but I'll find out if I get a text after the segment they've got a bunch of pricks like they, they really are that kind of even Kucherov, who's one of their most skilled players. He's like that, too. He's he's nasty and, and he's dirty. And I, I mean, you're showing the video right now for those of you who are watching it on TV. They to me last night, their game plan was we are going after Brendan Gallagher. We are because if you, you know, like Kevin, a couple of times in the playoffs has shown how Montreal just destroys guys who try to get anywhere close to Carey Price. And the Montreal guys who get close to opponents, goaltenders, they don't get that treatment. Now, I don't know that Tampa was watching Kevin's segments. I would suspect not because who would watch that garbage? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that they said Brandon Gallagher is getting a free ride to do whatever he wants, and that stops right now. Yeah. And he put that line out there against them, that, that Gore, Goodrow, and Coleman line, and they went at him all night. And I think that's just another, I think that's another example of how we've kind of mislabeled Tampa. If they want to, if you want to play nice, they'll beat you nice. If you want to play them mean and dirty, they'll beat you mean and dirty. Yeah. And I'm just happy this particular highlight didn't end worse than it could have been. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse, but it's Brendan Gallagher. Yeah. So he just licks the blood and goes to the bench and uh, says, I'm okay. Um I keep saying, though, and I'm, as we move on, the road is littered for, with people who bet against the Habs after seeing one yeah. game or two games. or So th the series is not over. It's just that Tampa's really good. Um, my boy right here broke the Ryan Nugent Hopkins deal today, or at least was first on my timeline with it. This seems like a rare deal that ticks boxes for both the team and the player. How did it come about? Tim, this, this negotiation has been going for a long time. So I, I like to say last summer, but it wasn't the summer. It was the fall. Last offseason, I think that Edmonton and Nugent Hopkins were on the cusp of a deal. Like it, I think it had basically been verbally agreed to. And then at the end, it fell apart at the very last seconds. And it took a long time to get put back together again because I think there were some you know hard feelings and it was a real grind hmm. you know the one thing Ryan Nugent Hopkins made clear in this is that he wants to be an Edmonton Oiler and if he you know the eight years no move clause if he finishes that it'll be 18 years in Edmonton and he wants that that's important to him and so the whole year they worked at it I think the value of this deal is a little bit less than the one they had earlier. However, you know, Edmonton got, Nugent Hopkins got the term. He gave up some AAV. I don't think you're going to see too many eight-year deals this offseason. Yeah. And I think that says how much the Oilers mean to Nugent Hopkins and how much the Oilers recognize that and felt they need him. Edmonton has trouble getting guys to come there. He wants to be there. You find a way to get it done. It wasn't easy. There were a lot of ups and downs, but they got it done. Not as big a deal, but Wayne Simmons staying in Toronto. And it feels like, unlike 
much of the fan base frustrated after losing to the Habs in seven, that the guys in the room feel like they're a lot closer than maybe a first round or another first round exit would suggest. Is this proof of that? I, I think so. I still think there's going to be some change, uh, Tim. I, I think the biggest swing of the Maple Leafs offseason has not yet reached us. No. And I don't know if it could yet. I, I still think it's going to come. I, I do think they will try to do something that adds to their group significantly, whether it's it's just, it's just not like, going to be what they already have, like. whether it's a goalie or I, I don't have a name yet, yeah. whether it's a goalie or a defenseman or or something like that it's not going to be what they already have but with wayne simmons again it's a guy who wanted to be here it's six hundred thousand dollars less than what he was making last year so that's some cap room they're going to have that they need two-year deal i was a little surprised at the two years but you know what he took a bit less money so it makes sense and you know he wants to be there so what it says to me is they're rounding out they're figuring out exactly how much space they've got and eventually we're going to see them do what what I think they're going to do, and that is I think they're going to go out and get the best possible player they can get who doesn't fit what they already have. And unlike last time with you, I'm not going to say I have a name on a piece of paper and I'll pour it out later. I'm still figuring out who that's going to be. So is Zach Hyman next, or do you think they're going to go after that player that they want to add and all the rest? I mean, there's some names, right? Like Hyman, whatever they do with Freddie Anderson, Maybe they let him walk. I, I think I would. I would be surprised if Frederick Anderson is back. I, I really would. Nick Foligno. I, mm, I don't. I don't know. I, I think that that's. I, I think again, it depends on what else they want to do. I, I would be a little. I would. I would. I would be really surprised if Anderson was back. I would be slightly less surprised if Foligno was back. There is uh, going to be some off-season things to talk about, not just in Toronto. Edmonton's got some things to take care of, uh, and we're still in the cup final. Freege, appreciate it on the day off. Um, don't go outside. No days hot. off. No day, and it rained earlier. I don't know if you knew, if you knew that. It was disgustingly hot. Before it rained <laughs> and then after it rained, it just felt like soup again. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. A heat wave has hit Canada. Ridiculous temperatures out west and... In Ontario, it was gross today. It was like walking through soup. And then it rained, and then it was like walking through soup again. All right, time for a break. Canada's men's basketball team looking to punch their ticket to the Tokyo Games. The qualifying tournament begins tonight in Victoria as they try to reach the Olympics for the first time since 2000. We'll tee it up and be joined by Michael Grange live from Victoria. After this short commercial break, please don't turn the channel. It's my livelihood. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, Tokyo 2020, just around the corner. And Canada's men's basketball team is looking to get their 16 tournament tips off tonight in Victoria with Canada taking on Greece at the FIBA qualifiers. And the winner of this tournament will book their ticket to Tokyo. In less than a week, we will have our answer on whether or not we'll see our national team at the Olympic Games for the first time in over two decades. It was the year 2000. 
and what a year it was. First, the world didn't end with Y2K, so that's one good thing. Destiny's Child topped the charts. Tiger Woods dominated golf, and Canada's men's basketball team appeared at Sydney 2000. Fast forward to 2021, and the men's squad is trying to get back to the summer games for the first time since then, with arguably the best roster they've ever had. Canada has really risen, hasn't Big time. it? There seems to be a lot of depth, a lot of versatility. There's a lot of talent out there. We're here with one goal, and um, we're going to do whatever we can to, to compete at the highest level and, and go as far as we can and, and uh, make our families proud. Tuesday night, Canada will hit the court in Victoria to begin a last-chance Olympic qualifying tournament as they try and book their tickets to Tokyo. Here's how it works. Six teams will compete. Canada, Greece, China in Group A, Czech Republic, Turkey, and Uruguay in Group B. Top four from group play advance to the semis. Winners play in the finals, and that winner advances to Tokyo. Sure, some players are missing who we'd love to have seen, but take a look at who we've got. R.J. Barrett, Andrew Wiggins, and Lou Dort, just to name a few. They headline NBA-level talent, ready to make an impact on the international stage. There's a lot of positivity around this team. Just listen to the head coach. You can just sense this this um, tremendous heart that they have, and you certainly sense it on the practice floor, and and it is, is, you couldn't, they couldn't be better to coach. The pandemic has made sports, like many things in life, challenging. Canada's prep for this tournament has been just that. The team trained in Tampa Bay at the Raptors' temporary training facilities before departing for Victoria last week. But now our team is back on home soil and ready to compete with just one question. Can they get back to the Olympics for the first time in over 20 years? Yeah, everybody that's been on the floor for us is a really good basketball player. I think this is perfect time. I think everything's shaping out. Our older guys, they're, they're in their prime right now. Our younger guys, we, we also have some experience. When you put that together, along with the staff that we have, I think, uh, you know, I think we'll be good. Here to break it all down is a man who, wait for it, is traveling again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Grange. Mike, what was it like to get on a plane again? Well, I'm a pretty goofy traveler at the best of times, Tim. So there okay. were some uh, kind of, how do I do this? Where's my passport? <laughs> uh, which direction do I go? It was not a smooth experience, but uh, I made it. And I'm really, really happy to be here because uh, this is, I only wish that the building could be filled oh. and, you know, this, this whole environment could be what they pictured uh, for it last year, pre-pandemic. But, hey, we're, we're here, it's on, and, uh, you know, I'm really excited about the basketball. And what it would have been a tip of the cap to the past in the national program in that city. Like, it's just, I mean, I'm so glad that you pointed it out because I wasn't going to go there. But just thinking about it now, it's too bad there aren't. Uh, 7,000 people in those stands cheering on Canada because there is a little bit of a, a nod to the past in Victoria. Eh? It would have been a great moment. And, and, you know, for the organizing committee, the people who put this event on, they did everything right. Uh, but listen, I, I think really the mission here is to get this team to the Olympics to, um, as much as we've talked about, you and I, and, and everyone has talked about this golden generation, in a way, they still need a ground floor. They still need a foundation, um, a place to build. And when you look at the talent, the young talent, um, you know, the, there's the, tra traje the trajectory gotcha. for Canadian basketball is still up. 
and uh, still trending up, but they need that that foundation. They need that ground floor from which they can build. All right, we just uh, showed the, the, the Vegas odds on this. Canada is the favorite. Do you agree? I do agree. Um, you know, I think my... There's no doubt that they're the most talented team. I think they're probably the best coach team. I think they have the best collection of guys who can get their own bucket and they have some stoppers too i think the the caveats for me are, are three things one uh familiarity the only guy who's ever played for nick nurse before is Corey joseph uh this team has never played together before and they've never had they haven't had an exhibition game going into what's essentially a series of do or die games yeah so that's got to give you some pause um they're not as big a team as they could be based on the pool of players that uh, in theory were available um, and when you look at a team like Turkey the size they can bring and, and the way offensive rebounds can can tip a, a tight game that's going to be a little bit of a concern but um, you know I still that doesn't change the fact that you've got the best players you've got guys who can create their own shot you guys who guys like Lou Dord who can turn off the water if they need to on on, on an opposition player who's kind of getting it going so I think they have uh, you know and I, and I think Corey Joseph put it well I said he said the chemistry we have here is because there's not a single guy with a selfish bone in their body and and I've seen all these guys play you've seen them play I yeah. think that's an accurate assessment yeah, it's a great point um, so it's just it's just a bit of familiarity and a, and a little bit of uh, you know can they can they get up to speed quickly as a group that's that's the real variable all right so there's people here that don't know a ton about the tournament because frankly uh, they haven't been told a lot about the tournament outside of a few people uh, trying to push it Canada has eight NBA players uh, two more former NBA players. Who else has legit NBA talent among the five other teams in this tournament? Well, Greece would have been a formidable opponent had, say, Giannis Antetokounmpo yes. <laughs> and his brothers been on the team, but they're not. In addition to that, they're missing four other kind of stalwart guys who've started for them at World Championships and Olympic Games before. So, um, you know, so they're just a shadow of themselves. Uh, Canada should walk through them. Um, China is, is not a team on Canada's level. Again, if Canada struggles with them, they have problems. On the other side of the draw, the teams to really watch are Czech Republic. And the name that's probably most familiar there is Thomas Sadoransky, who's uh, kind of a do-everything guard with the Chicago Bulls and internationally is one of those guys who really shines. Jan Vesely, a former draft pick, a former lottery pick, he's also on that team. And the one that, that Czech has, and they're 12th ranked in the world, they were really good at the World Cup a couple of years ago, is the, almost the rest of their team plays on a club team in EuroLeague. So they've got a lot of chemistry, a lot of familiarity, and, that, and you know, that's going to be something Canada doesn't have to, to counter. I think Turkey, probably outside of Canada, has the most talent. You've got C.D. Osman, you've got Ersan Ola Silva. Um, you know, they've got, again, that, that collection of guys who played internationally for them before who are on top EuroLeague teams. So they, again, are a team that I think is, is you know, they're probably the co-favorite along with Canada or the favorite to go to the final. And uh, they're also a really big team. So they do have one thing, one element that Canada doesn't have, and so that can create some matchup issues. But in terms of NBA talent, uh, Canada's got more in their eight than the rest of the tournament does combined. The format's pretty interesting here. Like, there's not much room for error, is there? It's a it's a drag race. Yeah. Um, it's a quick tournament to win. You only got to get. It's only four games, so two group games, a semi, a, you know, a sudden death semifinal, and then the final. And I guess the scary thing is, it's a really quick tournament to lose. If you uh, if you don't go at least one on one in this group stage, uh, two game group stage, you're done. 
And so that's, that's where the nerves come in. Um, that's where, you know, Canada's lack of familiarity, the lack of ability to have an exhibition game is a little bit concerning. But, you know, you counter that with, you know, they have the right, they're on the right side of the draw. I think you're playing, as we, as we pointed out, a kind of a weakened Greek team and, a, a, you know, a, China, a, a team from China that, you know, again, Canada should be, is the favorite over. And so I think if you can get through those two games, hopefully 2-0, and 1-1 one and one with the right point differential, then, you know, that's almost your exhibition season. And then it's, a, you know, then it's uh, two critical games, most likely against one of Czech or Turkey. Michael Grange joining us from Victoria. Uh, before we got going, I just said, hi, Mike, how you doing? Uh, make sure that he could hear me before we do this live on national television. I also asked him if he brought his clubs to Victoria because there are very good courses. He told me quickly, yes, Mike, are you playing any courses in the Victoria area? Where are you hoping to go? Where are you getting out on? Because I'm very interested because there are very good courses in the Victoria area. <laughs> Well, this is a silly question. Of course I brought my clubs. <laughs> and uh, if you're up early and you see a guy who looks like me on Bear Mountain, uh, it might be me. All right. <laughs> Any, anywhere, else, no anywhere else that you might be looking at? I know I've played Bear Mountain. Wonderful course. Wonderful little area there on top of the mountain. That's why they call it Bear Mountain. I'm no genius. Anywhere else that you would like to go? Well, if there's anyone uh, from the Victoria area who'd like to host me at any of the lovely private clubs out here, DM me. DMs nice. are open. There, there, are, good, there are some pretty nice company. private clubs out there, too. How, sh how shameless was that? We edit that? I, may, that really I may or may not have teed you up for that to, in, in, the, uh, in the hopes of getting <laughs> you out on one of those, uh, one of those courses. Uh, listen, appreciate it. Enjoy the time out there. Uh, I know it's a wonderful part of the country that I don't get to near enough. So uh, enjoy it. Thank you for doing this. It's beautiful here. Thanks, guys. All right. There is uh, Michael Grange joining us from lovely Victoria, British Columbia. All right. Time for a quick break. Jays have won seven of eight. And they swung a deal today trying to shore up the bullpen. We'll discuss with Buck Martinez ahead of their series opener with the Mariners in Buffalo. Coming up next on Sportsnet, Tim and Friends. Back after these, talking about a pair of new Blue Jays. Stick around. Please, again, my livelihood. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe. Friends of the show. Muchas gracias, Sheepdogs, back here for another hour on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, the fan, another 30 minutes on Sportsnet ahead of Blue Jays Central, Jays and Mariners. We've also got Game 4 between the Bucks and the Hawks on Sportsnet 1 tonight. Also on Sportsnet 1, the NHL Awards Show, 7.30 Eastern as the Big Hardware gets handed out tonight. A little subdued this time around, but still handing out hardware. And speaking of, Lightning now three wins away from lifting the hardware that counts the most. The Stanley Cup. Habs were without Joel Armia or Yoel Armia in last night's Game 1 loss. Armia was on the ice. Habs optional skate today. No word on his status for Game number 2. While on the Lightning side, Alex Kaloran considered day-to-day -day after blocking a shot with his foot in Game 1. It was a tough Game 1 in many ways for the Habs in the Stanley Cup final. Brendan Gallagher was front and center 
on the rough stuff. He is okay after being left bloodied following a takedown by Mikhail Sergachev. But Luke Richardson says that's just Gallagher being Gallagher. He doesn't look great. He looks uh, like a roadmap uh, right now. But, um, you know, he'll be there battling and and in everybody's face at uh, at the crease, just uh, the same as he always is. So uh, he is a, a warrior, and uh, we count on, count on him to be that way. And uh, he will be back uh, doing his thing tomorrow night. A lot of big cities on that roadmap. <laughs> uh, game three goes Friday back in Montreal. And the Habs are hoping to have a larger crowd in attendance. Eric Engels tweeting that the Habs are in conversation with authorities and have requested a 50% capacity at the Bell Center, which would be just over 10,000 fans. So some interesting news. and It'll be interesting to see as the Habs put some pressure on the local authorities. As Elliot Friedman reported, first, the Oilers and center Ryan Nugent Hopkins have agreed to a long-term deal, eight years, $51.25 million annually. The deal is also expected to include a full no-move clause. First overall pick in 2011 has spent all 10 years of his career in Edmonton, finished with 16 goals, 35 points, 52 games last season. And Nuge will join us a little later on in the show. Maple Leafs have signed forward Wayne Simmons. It's a two-year deal worth 900 k per season. Scarborough native. Scored seven goals in 38 games with Toronto last season. However... The way they ended the season still weighs on them. That loss in Montreal stung a lot. I think that was one of, um, you know, the hardest losses of my life. And, you know, I, I think for me, um, you know, reading about, you know, how we failed and, you know, what we should have did different, you know, you know, everyone saying what they wanted to say about our players, you know, I think it left a bitter taste in my mouth and, the, and, and a huge sting and, you know, I, I know we have, you know, a team good enough, you know, to go further than the first round. And it was extremely important for me, you know, to, um, you know, to show the guys on the team that I'm in this with them, um, you know, and, and I will be and continue to be. And, um, you know, I, I just wanted, you know, with everything that I could possibly do, I just wanted to be back on this team and, you know, prove all our naysayers wrong. Love that he did that in his car. Uh, <laughs> it's time to hand out some hardware. Five NHL awards will be delivered tonight. The big question, who will take arm the heart trophy? Actually, we know. Connor McDavid is probably going to win that trophy. In fact, 99% over Austin Matthews and Nate McKinnon. You can watch the show, Sportsnet 1, 730 Eastern Time. Are you at your calmest, Jesse Rubinoff, in your car? I am. Like, I'm at my most honest just oh, sitting in my car. Throw on a podcast, and that's it. Like, I could drive forever if there's no traffic. But I just mean, like, love talking. Like, oh, that's yeah. the most oh, yeah. honest you're going to get. Yeah, of course. almost honest. I thought you said calmest. Yeah, yeah, honest. Both. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Both. You're yeah. in your car, you just chill. You're the person. 100%. That's you. Yeah. In he looks, your car. He looks so cool just driving along, <laughs> yeah. doing his avail. Like, maybe that's the new way. That's, yeah. Both, most athletes would probably love yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. All right, Jay's back in action tonight in Buffalo. Hosting the Mariners for the first of three. There are five Jays in the final round of voting for the All-Star game. In fact, I, I, uh, I have a T-shirt that suggests that there are five Jays that are in the final round of voting. It goes two weeks from tonight in Colorado. Voting starts fresh this round. So log on to bluejays.com slash all-star to vote for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, Randall Gritchick, Teoscar Hernandez. Voting closes 
at 2 p.m. Eastern time. I was sweating through my shirt, so they brought us shirts. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. Don't <laughs> lift your you arms too high. No. Don't lift your arms too high, Jesse. I'm just going to keep it like It'll this the okay. rest of the show. Uh, Jay's made a trade today, <laughs> sending Joe Panic in a minor league pitcher to the Marlins for reliever, reliever Adam Simber and outfielder Corey Dickerson. Now, Simber's a submariner who has a 288 ERA in 34 innings this season. Dickerson lefty bat and a plus outfielder currently on the IL. He's in a walking boot and not expected back for a while with the foot injury. Here's Charlie Montoyo on the addition of Simber to the pen. Help immediately. He's going to help our bullpen a lot. And, and what, it, what he does, he gives us a different look, you know? So I'm really looking forward to adding him to, to the group. And, and just like everybody else, he's going he's gonna to get a chance to, to pitch, you know, in high leverage. Uh, it's funny because I just happened to see him in, in Miami when we first time I seen him and he looked pretty good. So I, I love that different look that he's going to give us. And it's a completely different look. He gets down low like submarine. Significant day for the Jays. Interesting deal. And the lid lifter of a three-game set with the Mariners in Buffalo. Here to help me out is the legendary Buck Martinez. Welcome back to the show, Buck. How are you, man? I am very good, Tim. Good to be with you. And I wanted to show you my shirt, too. Oh, uh, yes. I've got my yes. shirt as well. So, go, uh, everybody, get on this now. We got to have all five of these guys at the All Star game. And the, it all starts at zero now. So, you got to get on and you got to vote. So, make sure you vote and get these guys the All Star game. Everyone is worthy of being in an All Star game. So, uh, make sure you. And uh, I don't think any of them have been to an All Star game. So, this would be very cool. And the good thing is, is that uh, Jays fans did a pretty good job already. No, like, I mean, just getting to this point, we saw the numbers early. Simeon high, Guerrero high. Jays fans have been supporting all along. Yes, they've done a great job, but these guys are worth it. And they're very worthy of going to an all-star game. And Vladdy's leading the way with the bat, and Simeon's had an all-star caliber season. And Marcus has never made an all-star team. Bobichet deserves to go as well. And how about Gritchick and Teoscar? Five guys could be on this all-star team. So make sure you vote, fans. Make sure you vote. They're all worthy of it, and they're having a great start to their season. Everyone's got their jerseys. <laughs> All right, we've seen it. Jesse's got his. But, I'm done. Right, I'm putting let, it away. Let, let's start with that trade. Uh, what was your initial reaction to the deal? Um, I think it's a very good deal uh, for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, they, they brought in Jacob Barnes in uh, the middle of the month, and he's another bullpen piece. And obviously, this is the weakest area of this team right now is the bullpen. And um, you bring in Simber, who's had postseason experience in uh, 2020 and 2018 with the Indians. And he's a different look, as Charlie said. He's, he's not overpowering. He'll put the ball in play. He'll put the ball on the ground. And uh, he's got pretty good stuff. Fastball slider, different deliveries, totally different than anybody the Blue Jays have in their bullpen. So I think that's a real plus. And he's a veteran. He's another guy that has a little more experience down in that bullpen. And I think it's a good addition. And I think it's just the start of what's going to happen here. You look at his numbers and he's been very consistent and uh, he came to the Indians in a time when they were pretty good and he added uh, some depth to their bullpen he and Brad Hand came over from San Diego so it's a very good move for the Blue Jays and one that I applaud and like I said I think it's just one of a uh, few more that are about to come before the trade before the trade deadline uh, I agree with you and obviously the immediate help to the pen calms a lot of nerves in Blue Jays' land, especially when it comes to their fans. Dickerson expected to be out uh, beyond the All-Star break, but seems like a little bit of a lottery ticket here, like an experienced left-handed bat has played gold-glove defense before. It's an interesting move if you add him to the mix, too. There's a few outfielders on this roster. 
You know, Tim, I talked to Tommy Hutton today, who's down there with Miami doing some broadcasting, and he talked about Dickerson and says, yeah, he's wearing a boot right now and doesn't seem to be a long-term type of injury. But Dickerson is a unique bat in that he's a tough two-strike hitter. And on this team, you don't need a power guy. You know, he had some power seasons early in his career, but the power has fallen off a little bit. Charlie Montoya had him in Tampa Bay when he had a couple of good seasons there with the Rays. Started out in Colorado, and he's a guy that really really is a tough at bat in that he really fits into this lineup very well because he's a unique player in that he chokes up with two strikes he tries to put the bat on the ball you mentioned he won a gold glove a few years ago in left field and that's the position he will play but I think more than anything he gives them a veteran left-handed bat something they haven't had for a while and I think he's going to be a good addition and yeah if he can come back after the all-star break he can probably work in a platoon situation in left field Charlie continue to rotate but in this team you don't need a lot more offense you just need a different look and I think the addition of a left-handed bat was a good one could you see this as a domino could you see this putting pressure on some guys that all of a sudden there could be another guy you know whenever he gets healthy added to this mix Oh, absolutely. I, I think this is a, you know what, this opportunity doesn't come along every single year. When you look at what those top five in the lineup are doing, they're having career seasons. And how often can you predict that? We think Bo's going to be that for the long haul. Vladdy, of course, and Teoscar has improved. Randall Gritchick's had a dramatic turnaround. And Marcus Simeon's a free agent after this year. So you have to strike while the iron is hot. And the way the rotation is pitched lately, I think it's really time for this team to do something their lineup is really impressive one of the best lineups in baseball now with Springer coming back and as soon as George gets his timing down I think he's going to have another dramatic impact in the addition of this lineup but now Cavan's healthy how about Reese McGuire and what he's done yeah. at the bottom of this lineup when he gets on base Reese turns the lineup over and that has been a spark for this team lately so I think the biggest thing is the team thinks they can win the manager thinks they can win and now the front office is starting to to prove that they too think the Blue Jays can win this season. Uh, tough break with Steven Matz, but he's going to be back soon. What can we expect from a guy, uh, a pitcher in this spot trying to make his way back on, on what is a kind of a different absence? Yeah, Tim, I don't think it's going to be that significant of okay. what we had with Steven before he was on the IL because he wasn't really sick. He didn't have any symptoms, so he was throwing. He was isolated. He still did his work. It might be a welcome break for a starting pitcher in the middle of the season. So he's thrown his side sessions. Everything looked to be pretty good. He had a simulated game the other day in Buffalo. Ball was coming out of his hand really well. And I think the biggest thing about this starting rotation is since Ross Stripling made the turnaround, yeah. the rotation has been a very very solid five-man rotation and Alec Manoa is going to make his return on Friday against Tampa Bay so he won't have missed any time at all so I think the off day on Monday really helped Ryu to get an extra day and he'll pitch on Thursday in the finale of this series and now Alec Manoa will come back back and take his spot in the rotation opening up the series on Friday against Tampa Bay all right let's stay with that rotation because Robbie Ray seems to be a great story of fixing whatever ailed his control in in Arizona and sometimes I think that's underappreciated Buck how did he go about doing going from a guy who really really struggled with his control to being a staple now seemingly of this rotation he went to the pitching doctor Tim <laughs> Pete Walker 
Pete Walker's a terrific pitching coach, and I don't think he gets the credit he deserves because he has turned Robbie Ray around. And it's nothing magical other than Pete has always had a positive attitude. And he got Ray last year, late in the season. Ray had some, had some mechanical issues. They straightened out those issues. And now Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling, Stephen Matz are pitching with the most confidence they've ever had in their career. And I think Pete Walker deserves a lot of credit. And he's not a guy that's going to go in there and show you a chart and numbers and everything else. He's going to talk to you as a person and say, listen, I like your stuff. I think your stuff is good. We need to manipulate it a little bit, maybe change your mix a little bit, but pitch aggressively because you have good stuff. And we have seen that with Robbie Ray. I mean, he's reduced his walk rate down from 17 down to about six from last year to this year, okay. throwing a lot of strikes. And you find out that when you throw strikes and get ahead, you can be successful. Pete's done a heck of a job with all three of those pitchers. All right. Vote your Jays in to the All-Star Game. We've all got our T-shirts here, and we always appreciate Buck Martinez wearing. We all got our T-shirts. I, I know sure that the T-shirt. I know that the folks on radio can't see it, but man, is that a suit, Mr. Martinez? <laughs> <laughs> I like the look of that thing. All right, be screams Florida. Thank you, Tim. Thanks it's for great doing to this. Be with you. Good to be with you too. There you is uh, the legendary Buck Martinez from Florida in what I believe to be a teal suit just yeah. and let me tell you something if you're listening on radio he pulled it off yeah uh is vladdy after another al mv or <laughs> i was gonna get ahead of myself after another al player of the week the mvp or are we still going babe ruth i mean Shohei otani i mean it's a complete toss-up right now like 50 50 basically if you had have told me that otani was doing what he's doing i would have said he wins the mvp hands down the fact that i even put vladdy in the conversation tells you what Vladdy's doing. The producers are asking me if we can save our thoughts for last call because that's one of the topics. Huh. A little tease. Sorry, I was just trying to have a Stick around. Like last call. Like Shohei Otani, like Vladdy Guerrero. show. Just two guys, you know, having conversation. Vote. How dare I? Vote. Uh, quarterfinals <laughs> are set at Euro 2020 in 2021. Wild Monday. All eyes on England and Germany. James Sharman next with a little footy chat. <laughs> All right, rolling on here. We got basketball, we got hockey, we got baseball, and now a little footy. After a ridiculously dramatic Monday at Euro 2020 in 2021 that saw favorites France go out, it was time for England and Germany to square off at Wembley with some history in the bag between the two. This is the 48th minute. Ball falls to Kai Havers. He has a go. Jordan Pickford. Over the bar, could have been 1-0 Germany. England yet to allow a goal in the tournament breakthrough. And there's Jack Grealish, and here's Luke Shaw, and there for England is number 10 again, Raheem Sterling. The moment, the man. Grealish comes on as a sub, sets up Raheem Sterling, third of the tournament. And the rich guy loves it. How is he rich? Bad. Ah, don't worry about it. 81st minute. Thomas Muller in alone. Thomas Muller! You don't see him do that very often. Outside the bar. Perhaps that was the omen. 86th minute. Grealish again. Harry Kane. Get on the board. First goal of the tournament. Celebration on at Wembley. England are on to the quarterfinals, beating Germany in a real tournament for the first time since 1966. Other game today, Sweden 
Ukraine. Who would England face? 27th minute. Alexander Zinchenko buries a half volley. Ukraine 1-0 lead. 43rd minute. Just before halftime, Emil Forsberg from distance takes a big deflection and beats the keeper. Team leading fourth of the tournament, we would eventually need extra time. 98th minute, have a look at this tackle. Is this a red card? Ball first, cleats up. VAR determined it was. We move on. Alexander Zinchenko now. So a lot of controversy about the red card. I don't see it. And Brandy Chastain celebrates the... No, sorry. That's Ukraine <laughs> moving on with a similar look. 2-1 the final. So, listen. I'm not going to say this too loud for all English fans out there. But the bracket has opened up. Ukraine, Czech Republic, and Denmark all on one side. Belgium, Italy on the other, Switzerland, Spain. I believe the English are on the right side of the bracket, but who am I, the girls, them sugar? I will whisper that and hope that our next guest didn't hear me. James Sharman, Footy Prime Podcast, old friend, Footy Show. Uh, you didn't hear me say anything about that side of the bracket opening up for England a wee bit here. Oh, I heard everything, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you're right, but that's okay, you know? You can't, you can't blame the team for, you know, who they're, who they're drawn against. The bottom line is they, they beat the old enemy today. They beat Germany. And quite frankly, the tournament's good now. It's done. Don't care anymore. I, I, <laughs> listen, I heard, I heard the same thing at the end of the game. And listen, I believe the English broadcasters have a different way of going about things. But the waxing poetic at the end of that game and what it meant. Can you describe to a North American fan why that one game, even though England has struggled mightily to win any sort of tournament, how could you possibly say in a round of 16 that that game meant so much? Well, you see, England and Germany have a bit of history, yeah. you know, on and off the, the pitch, could be said. Yes. Um, but, the, the, you know, joking aside, for... for you know, the last 40 years, Germany have owned England at big tournaments and they've broken the hearts of England at big tournaments. And some of the most, you know, iconic moments of English international football in the last 30 or 40 years have been losses to Germany or, or West Germany. But this time around, you know, this new breed of English player, um, new confidence, uh, a young coach who's so likable, whether you like his tactics or not, people love Gareth Southgate, just a good guy. He's a likable team, in fact, overall. And, and they're playing a German team who, you know, history won't remember, remember this, but the fact of the matter is this Germany isn't a great Germany. You know, they're, they're just not, they're not the same team as be England in 1990 and 1996. Um, they're, they're decent, obviously, but they're not great. But regardless, to get over that hurdle to, to you know, exercise the demons of the past uh, three years after they won a penalty shootout at a World Cup, which again was another demon that exercise. You're seeing this new group of players slowly but surely uh, move forward and, and put the past very much behind them, which so many generations of this current team have failed to do. It's funny because you think of how young this team is and you think, well, given the past of England, they're not quite there yet. However, sometimes I feel like, like 
you can become unencumbered by the past if you have no idea what it is. And most of this team is basically under 25. Like, it's crazy how young this team and how good they are. I think James Sherman just froze <laughs> in a spot. Either that or he's really <laughs> mad at me because there's a stare in that I, look right now where he's frozen that is saying to me, McAuliffe, shut up about this English side. Let's move on to the other side of the bracket because if you jinx this, I'm going to leap through the screen and tear your heart from your chest. I was following along My, the question, and I was like, he, I don't think he likes this question from mm-hmm. Tim. Like th- there's something about the way he's asking. He's just not reacting. No. Unbelievable. He's just staring. Turns out he's frozen. He's burning a hole through me after seeing this board that England is favorites in the tournament at plus 187. But I think that's just the bracket, and that's the way the gambling works. Uh, Dobby, are we going to get Charmin back, or are we going to move on ourselves? We're going to try and get Charmin back on the show to see if he actually was that upset with me for saying that. But... It's been a long time coming for England and the way this is setting up. Now, listen, uh, you could lose to the Ukraine. This has been one of the most unpredictable sporting, like look across all sports. It has been remarkably unpredictable and it would be the most English of English soccer things to do to hand it away to Ukraine or to the winner of the other quarterfinal if they happen to get past Ukraine. But it's opened up for them mightily. I feel like one of the questions you should ask Charmin is like, you look at that board now and you see England's favored. I don't know. Is that a good thing for English fans? They're like, uh oh, like now we're expected to win the Euro. Like that's, that's a little bit concerning. It's like we always equate English fans to sort of Leaf fans. It's like you want to sort of fly under the radar and they're not flying under the radar by any means anymore. It's almost the expectation now that they have to get to the final and whoever uh, merges on the other side of the bracket. I mean, there's quality on the other side, but. On England's side, it's not as much. Well, the door's opened up without a doubt, and apparently uh, there's storms rolling through the Toronto area. Oh, and apparently. We just, a, we just got a text saying that it's a paddle heritage show. We're, we're done with James Sharman, <laughs> and maybe fittingly, we're done with James Sharman. As I said, this English team might be a little different from the ones in the past, and I made that comparison off the top of the show where I had compared Leaf fans to England fans, mm-hmm. but they're not out of the woods. Like, they just got past Germany. And I understand the history of Germany, but now this opportunity that lays in front of them is a wonderful opportunity. But they still have to win games, and the other side of the bracket is pure class. And I don't care what... Spain, a lot of people thought, was the Germany of their group, where their history suggests that they are better than they actually are. But with 10 goals in their last two games, Spain has shown that they can still do it at a high level. In fact, those 10 goals in their last two games are more than they scored winning the World Cup. Yeah, that's insane. They scored eight goals when they won the World Cup. They scored 10 in their last two games. Uh, I believe the class of the tournament is Italy. We'll see if it ends up being Italy-England and what a final that would be. Yeah, that's why I was a little bit surprised when we pulled out the odds there because as Sherman said... Well, you got Belgium. Yeah, you got... Right, that's why. Right, that's what influences it's the, bracket. the number. Yeah, it's that either one of those teams could beat Italy. Yeah. And the reason why England is the favorite now is because they shouldn't lose. They should be a walk to the final. I, I don't know, but like Switzerland, like are they, maybe they're not getting enough credit. They did just beat France. Oh no, they, could, they, they did just beat France without a doubt. So, they did just beat France, and they had, had a run or two. 
in the past. All right, we're done. Blue Jays Central coming up. No more Sharman. We just continue on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Welcome back to Tim and Friends for this Tuesday, June 29th. Last call on its way with Jesse Rubinoff, Jays and Mariners, 7 p.m. Eastern start and a couple of signings in the NHL announced today, including Ryan Nugent Hopkins re-upping with the Oilers on an eight-year, $41 million deal. Now joining me to discuss the brand spanking new deal is Ryan Nugent Hopkins himself. Ryan, thanks a lot for jumping on with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell me, why was this the right move for you at this time in your career? Um, well, I mean, it's kind of been my goal, uh, um, my whole career to stay in Edmonton. Um, things are progressing with the team. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to, obviously, I mean, the big reason I want to, I want to stay in Edmonton is, uh, is to stay there and win. So, um, I think we're progressing in the right direction and, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to, um, to play 10 years already in Edmonton. And, uh, so it's exciting for me to sign another, another eight years with them. You know, it sounds like this deal speaks to where your heart is. And it probably hasn't always been really easy to be an oiler, given all that you've gone through. And it's crazy for me to hear you say 10 years. But now that I think of it, it's been 10 years. Um, Do you think that this tells that fan base something about where you want to be and how much you want to be in that community? Well, I mean, for sure, it's uh, Edmonton is near and dear to my heart. It's uh, I I played two years in Red Deer, now ten years in Edmonton. So I've been in uh, in Central Alberta for twelve years, and um, I mean, the fans have embraced me so well. They've been so so good to me, and um, obviously, my first few years, it was uh, we were at the bottom of the league in standings, and and still the fans were positive. They were excited. They came every night. They cheered us on, and. Um, and then we had a little bit of a playoff run in 2017. And I mean, the atmosphere in there and, uh, and even driving down the streets and, uh, and, and hearing all the honking horns and uh, seeing the flags waving and stuff. It, uh, it definitely makes me want to stay and uh, have more success in Edmonton and, uh, and start to put together some deep runs and uh, get, get more experience in the playoffs and, uh, and keep pushing uh, as far as we can get. You know, it's nice to kind of hear the love for Northern Alberta here. And I know that you and the wife have become a part of that community. Why is that so important to you guys? Um, well, I mean, for my wife too, I mean, she's from Red Deer. Um, <clears throat> so it's, uh, we have lots of, we have family down in Red Deer. We have uh, family in, in uh, different parts of Alberta and stuff. So, and I think just the way that we've been embraced by the community in Edmonton, um, we're, we're involved with some charity work, uh, uh, we, we do as many functions as we can do, and uh, and like I said before, I mean the fans have just been amazing to to me and her and um, and my whole family, and uh, they've really embraced us, and uh, definitely don't want to be anywhere else. When the charitable arm of the team shouts you out on Twitter, you know you've done good things in your career. Uh, the, the cap hit is lower than your last deal, which allows for a little flexibility to the team. Was that a big part of the deal? Well, I think it was kind of finding that uh, the happy medium, and um, <clears throat> and I mean they're putting a lot of faith in me, giving me a an eight year term, and um, and I think uh, we we kind of found that uh, the the right uh, the the middle ground, and um, I mean hopefully having a little lower cap hit than uh, in my previous years can help out the team uh, and put some pieces together and uh, and start really building a a good uh, playoff team. 
This is a city that's seen uh, a couple of big names leaving your time there. If you finish this deal in Edmonton, it will be 18 years in northern Alberta. Is that something you thought about when talking with your agent about that term? Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. We talked about it halfway into my to my other contract, my first contract. I mean, it's uh, I've I've loved my time in Edmonton, and it hasn't always been easy. With the we've been through some ups and downs for sure with the team, but I think uh, pretty much every team goes through those. Um, so I mean, just the way that the team has progressed and um, and the different pieces, the different players that uh, that we have on the squad. I mean, I think. Uh, we can start to really push and, uh, and be a great team in this league. And uh, obviously it's not going to be easy, but I think we have the right, uh, the right mindset and the right pieces to, to start to do it. When did you start feeling it change? Was it Connor McDavid? Was there more to it? Um, well, obviously again, again, Connor and the team. Not I bad, mean, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, it's pretty special to have him on the team. I mean, Leon, obviously, um, uh, I mean, has, has been unbelievable these past, I mean, well, since he's, since he's made his, uh, to way, way into the full-time, uh, full-time player. I mean, um, Darnell is, uh, I thought this year he, he yeah, took really. a huge step with his game. He just, uh, uh, we lost cleft bomb. So Darnell really stepped up and was a huge presence for us on the back end. And, and, uh, I mean, Adam Larson and, um, and guys like that. I mean, we just had these, we, we have these pieces here and there, but, um, I think, Probably 2016, 2017 is where things started to change for us. Uh, we were just kind of, we were tired of losing. I mean, we just, uh, eventually you got to, you got to say, okay, like this is enough. We got to start stringing some uh, wins together. And we started to get more confidence the more we won. And um, I, I think when you have confidence that you can go in and, uh, and beat any, te- any team uh, on any given night, that, uh, that goes a long way for the team. Not sure if you've heard it, but there was a little bit of talk around the teams that went out in the first round, one in Toronto, one in Edmonton, especially in the North Division, and just how they were built. But it sounds like you feel like you guys might be closer than that result suggests. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, obviously it's never easy. I mean, the playoffs are a different animal, and um, once you get in there, it's just uh, you got to find a way to win on any given night. And um, <clears throat> I mean, three of our games went into overtime, so we know we were that close to, to moving on, but, um, it, it's not easy. It's, uh, it's not going to be easy. Um, I, I do have confidence in the group, uh, to be able to do it. And I think we have some great pieces to, to push our way into it, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's tough once you get in there. I mean, you've seen, uh, how competitive each game is and, um, and, and how competitive the league really is when you get to playoffs. Have you been watching the playoffs or are you kind of like Patrick Swayze's character in Youngblood, which might be a little too old for you, and I understand that. And well, I know Youngblood. <laughs> All right. Uh, but do you remember Patrick Swayze's character? He's, he said, if I'm not playing, I can't watch. Or do you watch playoff hockey even when you're out? Well, I think uh, <clears throat> when we were first uh, eliminated, it was, it was a little tough to – you're frustrated. It's, it's a little tough to watch right away. But definitely uh, definitely been watching recently the, the past couple of rounds and – um, I mean, the, the hockey is just so high, high intensity, so high speed. And um, I think we, uh, we have a team that uh, plays a, a fast game. I mean, that's definitely when we're at our best, when we're playing uh, as five guys all around the ice and, uh, and really skating. Um, and that's kind of what I've seen. The, the teams that have gone, gone forward and uh, obviously Tampa and Montreal, they're, they're good moving teams. Uh, they play solid on both ends, of the, uh, both, end, both ends of the rink for sure, but I think they just play with that high pace at all times. Is that the takeaway, the high pace and high intensity? 
Yeah, I, I, and I think every playoffs you, you see that high intensity. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, even throughout the season, it's it's intense. But there's definitely another level when you get to playoffs. Hey, before I let you go, uh, I grew up around the rink, uh, around baseball and football fields, and also with my dad at the track. I got to ask you, I still got some connects in and around the track. Did I see a winner at Hastings Park under the title R&H Stables? Uh, yeah, actually, this last week I had uh, had a guy, uh, um, a gelding, uh, win a race. So it's, uh, it was pretty exciting. It's, it's always fun to get out there and, uh, and watch them uh, run. And um, hopefully they can open it back up to spectators uh, pretty soon here. Who, what got you into the ponies? Is it you? Is it a family member? I'm guessing you didn't grow up in a farm in Burnaby. Like, <laughs> what got you in? <laughs> Um, it's kind of just always been in my family. I mean, my mom, my mom's dad, he was, was always taking us to the track when we were young. Um, my dad actually owned a few, uh, before I was born, but he owned a few back then. And, uh, we we were just kind of at the track every weekend and it was something that we did a lot as a family. And, uh, I got the chance to get involved, um, years ago now and uh and took that chance and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far true or false best place on planet earth to people watch is the track yeah yeah it's <laughs> definitely it's definitely interesting for sure <laughs> hey listen congratulations on the new deal congratulations on keeping edmonton home uh really appreciate you doing this with us thanks a lot thanks for having me Ryan Nugent Hopkins, fresh off his deal, joining us here on Tim and Friends, and we appreciate it as always. Time for a break. Last call, Jesse Rubinoff, and I just blow up my dad by telling people that he brought me to the track as a kid. <laughs> Never mind. Let's continue after this. Welcome back. We're going to jump into Last Call with Jesse Rubinoff in a flash, but I have a tweet from James Sharman. Oh. Okay. Uh, who froze in the middle of our conversation, staring into my soul uh, with a look that said, don't talk about England like you're talking about England. But he writes in and says, sorry, Tim and friends, Sportsnet Tim McAuliffe, big storm here. Power cut mid-chat. I was just about to explain why England was going to... So good. That's dot, a really good dot, tweet. Dot. Yeah. Smart man, that James Sharman. England was going to what? Oh, I get it. Joel, I don't think he was going to say they were going to win. I don't think he was going there. So, Joel writes in and says, thank you. The Joachim Love montage was the laugh I needed today, but also horrifying. If you missed it, we may send it out a little later on digital. Are we? We I were both. So. It was, it's grotesque. Is it really grotesque? Well, I guess you're right. We, we didn't show the, the really bad one. No, but seeing a grown man pick his nose is not that grotesque. Come on. <laughs> it's not just the picking of the nose. It's the armpit situation. It's the touching Ronaldo afterward. The whole thing is like... But it's not... Gro- Come on. No, no, it's not grotesque. It was an overstatement. Okay. Yeah, it was just embellishing. I just... There. I, w- I want to make sure no, 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 100%. you're not like... No, you're cool. You know, a lot yeah. of people pick their nose. Maybe not in public. Yeah. Maybe they don't eat it. It's like a nervous thing for him, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> now I love how you're going the other way on it. Listen, there is no way, shape, or form where you can pick your rear end and either smell it and or eat it when you know you could be on national TV. That's why there we left a- it out. There is absolutely no way that you should yeah, be able to do that. completely unacceptable <laughs> under all circumstances. Uh, so, <laughs> it's hot. There's cameras. It's rainy in Canada. There's a storm going on. 
Jarman saw it. He's in, in the middle of it, apparently. It's also really wet in England. No surprise. The rain yeah. played havoc on the schedule at Wimbledon today. Bianca Andrescu and Felix Auger Aliassime's opening matches were moved to tomorrow while, while Denis Shapovalov waited out a rain delay to win a five-set thriller over Germany's Philip Kohlschreiber. Tim, is rain the worst of Mother Nature's elements? <laughs> Is rain? It looks like Serena had uh, an yeah. injury today too, so that's that's not. Is rain the word? Rain can be refreshing. Rain can be calming. Rain can be needed. No, absolutely not. Yeah, like, how there are much stronger elements out there than rain. And in fact, I I am one of the very few that enjoys the rain every once in a while. Yeah, I, like, I like, I'll go for a walk in the rain. I, have I, no I don't mind rain. I don't like that it's like if it rains too hard, there's lightning or something, you can't like golf or something. I know Grange probably won't have an issue with that because it never rains in Victoria or right. West, but uh, snow is bad. Snow is tough. Uh, I just, as a, as a bald dude, I have no problem with rain. Right. I could see you guys with all that hair having a problem yeah. with rain. Uh, we showed you the, the visuals there. Serena had to retire after slipping on the wet grass, forced to retire from her first Oh, she's match. out. She is out, given a standing ovation from the crowd, but obviously a, a tough blow uh, for the women's Without bracket and just for tennis in general. I and mean, it sucks. And it sucks that it happened the way that it did, slipping on the wet grass. Um, Got to feel for Serena because that sucks. Without a doubt. Uh, Shohei Otani. Now, we talked about this earlier in the show, and we wanted to save the takes because Shohei continued his unbelievable season last night in the Bronx, launching his 26th home run of the season and tying him with Vlad Guerrero Jr. for the Major League lead. And it truly is an unbelievable season, tied for the Major League lead in home runs. He's third in RBIs with 60, third in OPS. He's also got 10 stolen bases. And, oh, yeah, Timmy, you might have known this, but he's also a pitcher, sporting a 2.58 ERA in 11 starts this season. With all due respect to Vladdy, is Shohei the MVP? You forgot that he also leads the American League in triples. Right. With yeah, four. Yeah. I don't even... How's that even possible? <laughs> it's, it's, listen, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. played for any other team, all of Canada would say that Shohei Otani is the MVP. Mm. But he plays for your team. I understand it, and I get it. And what Vladdy is doing right now is ridiculous. If you look at war, if you look at the numbers on war strictly depending on where you go there is a case to be made for vladimir guerrero being your mvp mm -hmm. if you go to fan graphs vladimir guerrero's wins above replacement look better than shohei otani though if you go to baseball reference <laughs> it says shohei otani by a significant margin if it wasn't a canadian team if it wasn't a toronto blue jay i believe half the people that are saying that Vladdy is the MVP, would flip and say yeah. Shohei Otani. What he's doing, we have never seen. It's just Babe Ruth. Like, you've got to go back to, yeah. to your parents' parents, for some <laughs> of you, to even suggest what he's doing. He is among the best pitchers in the game and also among the better hitters in the game. It's unbelievable what he's doing. It basically boils down to, like, whether you can wrap your head around what he's doing because he, he's, he's pitching. He's pitching and hitting. And to have those two things together going against someone who only does one, as amazing as Vladdy has done, the crazy thing is on most boards right now, Vladdy is still the favorite. It's very close, but Vladdy's plus 100, Shohei is plus 110.
just seems like they're going to go tip for tap the entire time. And it depends where the Angels end up and where the Blue Jays end up. Yeah. I believe that some people look at that and say, how can you be a most valuable player on a crappy team? Totally. That's a really interesting conversation that we may have mm -hmm. down the road. But just go ask the rest of the best pitchers in the world yeah. how hard it would be to also be the best hitter in the world. And I think you'd get your answer. Totally. You have a bunch of people shaking their heads and going, it's ridiculous. Yeah, very impressive. Uh, I think we've lost the plot with the foreign substances thing in baseball. Uh, last night, Philly second baseman Nick Maton pitching in a blowout loss. Checked by umpires. A position player. Checked by umpires. Then there was everyone's favorite umpire, Angel Hernandez, pretty much holding hands with Trevor Bauer. And today... It was just reading his fortune, that's all. <laughs> He's a big fortune teller. Uh, you can just ask Trevor Bauer. He'll tell you everything you need to know. Uh, MLB announced today Hector Santiago was suspended 10 games after they found a sticky substance in Santiago's glove on Sunday. Here was Santiago's explanation, saying it was just sweat and rosin. I kind of joked around with him moving like if I was going to run away. Because uh, I know I wasn't using anything besides rosin, you know, what's what's given to us. Because going into this, once once it came up, I was just like, I'm going to use rosin. That's what, what that's what we got. I don't want this to be a big thing. I don't want this to happen to me. I know that I didn't use anything today. I just went. I didn't know that they said, what he told me was you can't use rosin on the arm, your glove hand. So I, when I've used rosin, I, you know, dab on both sides, keep it dry. That way I'm not having any sweat coming down the hands. Um, I didn't know that you couldn't, he, the umpire said you couldn't use it on your, your glove hand. So I don't know. How stupid is this? Listen, the, the overreaction to the position player being checked is ridiculous. Of course you check him. Why not? If the, rest, <laughs> the rest of the pitchers, though, would be screaming, why don't you check him? If anybody's yeah. using spider tag, it should be him. Who cares? Yeah, who cares about that? The rest of it is ridiculous, but this is what baseball brought upon itself. And listen, I didn't know the rules about <laughs> using rosin on your glove hand yeah, either. How the <laughs> hell would you know that? Like, and I've seen guys tap it here so that they don't have to keep going back to the rosin bag. They just grab their wrist. Like, it's just, it's... It's when you don't think through rule changes. And here we are with Major League Baseball again, and it's just remarkably frustrating. Is there any chance they walk it back because it's such a disaster? Um, it's rare to see that happen, but this might be the disaster where you actually see it happen. Like the NHL, I was saying for years, why don't they just expend, extend the blue line theoretically to the roof so we don't have to have the, is this skate blade on the ice? Yeah. And then it took them like a year to do it, yeah. and they finally did it. Yeah. So some leagues will – NFL is the king of this. There, there's a rule that we figure out is completely ridiculous. It needs to be changed. They'll wait to the end of the year to do it. Stupid. Sticking with baseball, uh, Kyle Schwarber is red, red, red hot right now. Hit another two home runs last night. That's 11 Schwarber. in his last nine games, and now an absurd 15 home runs in 17 games. One of three players in history to hit 15 homers in a 17-game stretch, joining Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa. So the question is, do you miss the steroid era? <laughs> or is Kyle Schwarber using substances? Well, we've gotten, I mean, if you want, you can't have one without the other. Listen, the steroid era was ridiculous, and I think we look back on it and we all realize it. And then there's a bunch of people who just want to make excuses for baseball. We all see that's ridiculous now. But 
You can't be worried about them checking guys, Jesse, and then say, do you want the steroid era back? Because it's no coincidence Schwarber's doing this since we got rid of the tacky stuff, right? Arden does. Remember Arden came out here and said, bring back the steroid era? Yeah. Just means more home runs for everybody. But that just means that, and if, let me just say this. Steroids are very bad for human beings mm. to ingest. Yes, yes, and everyone who says this, I really think needs to take a step back and examine themselves for six seconds because it's not just professional athletes who ingest steroids in order to be good at their sports. It goes down to high school athletes. And that's why I'm so dead set against that's Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds being in the Hall of Fame because they forced a lot of kids at 16 and 17 to wonder whether or not they should be using steroids in order to be good at their sport. Very well said. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, a little bit silly. So take that, Arden. <laughs> a lot of moving parts in this next one, okay? So I want you to stick with me here. A I'll London-based try. better had a six-game parlay over the weekend. The legs of the parlay and odds were, here we go, Croatia to defeat Scotland at plus 140, check. England to defeat Czech Republic at minus 182, check. Steve Stricker to win the Bridgestone Senior Players Championship at plus 500. Plus, plus 500. Like, Check. you must have bet that in the last Steve round. Stricker, okay. pretty good player. Nelly Korda to win the KPMG Women's oh PGA God. Championship at plus 1,400. Check. Oh, no. Victor Hovland. This guy obviously knows his golf. Victor Hovland to win the BMW International Open at plus 650. Check. Five for five. The last one he needed to hit was Harris English to win the Travelers Championship at 3,500. So 35 to Come one. On. And English made a 28-foot putt on the 18th hole Come to on. put him in a playoff. After both golfers made seven straight pars to open the playoff, English drained a 16-foot birdie putt to win the tournament. It was amazing television. What do you he win? better won $1.36 million on a $15.50 bet. I was going to sit here at the end of all of that and tell you that parlays are a sucker's bet and they are among the stupidest bets that any gambler could walk down. And lo and behold, as you rifled through those, some of those had to be final round bets because they would have been much higher High odds. odds. Yeah. However, that is the, there are, we, we used to have a buddy named uh, Pete, and we called him Pete Parlay. And he once got so hot on straight bets and three-team parlays that he decided he was going to take his winnings from a week, which I believe was about $2,000, and make $100, 20 $100 pro-line tickets okay. for the whole NFL schedule, thinking if he just hits on one of them, he's retiring. We all sat there, watched every one of his tickets, and they all lost. Never won. You ever do parlays on Sundays? Because that's the only time that I'll really do yeah, a big too. parlay. Like, you just throw a couple bucks here and, and, yeah, and you take every team. You can't be a big or a real better betting parlays or you're asking for trouble. Yeah. Because I thought that what you were going to do was end that. With a loss. With a loss. But as soon as I heard the last name, I was like, oh my well, God, he got it. The craziest part is that it needed seven playoff holes between Harris English and Kramer Hickok. Like, I, I am. He must have been losing it, Tim. I am literally calling anyone to hedge that bet. Yeah. If I know what's going like, I'm oh. calling every friend that I could possibly think of to 100%. try and hedge that. That does it for us. We'll be back for an extended show tomorrow ahead of game two between the Habs and Lightning. Thanks for watching. We'll talk again tomorrow.